and open your Bibles to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 32. Numbers chapter 32. And as I was praying about this year and where the Lord's taken us as a church, he kept bringing me back to this passage. I said, well, Lord, there's so many passages that we could talk about and think about for the new year. But I kept coming back to this idea uh, of where God is taking us as a church. And the Bible has many stories where God moves people from one location to a new location. And I don't know about you, but I'm expecting God to bring us into a promised land. How many people realize we're not there yet? Now, there's a lot of great things happening, but I, I'm seeing something that's bigger, and I know God has taken us there. So let's join together in Numbers chapter 32. It says that the Reubenites and Gadites, who had very large herds and flocks, so they were doing well. They saw that the lands of Jazer and Gilead were suitable for livestock. And so they came to Moses and Eleazar the priest and to the leaders of the community and said, uh, Ataroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Elela, Sabam, Nebo, and Beon, the land the Lord subdued before the people of Israel are suitable. Look at someone and say, it's suitable for livestock and your servants have livestock. Okay, that's enough. If we have found favor in your eyes, they said, let this land be given to your servants as our possession. Do not make us cross the Jordan and go into the promised land. And Moses said to the Gadites and Reubenites, should your fellow Israelites go to war while you sit here? Or you guys go ahead and fight. We'll stay here. Why do you discourage the Israelites from crossing over into the land the Lord has given them? This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to look over the land. You all remember the story of the 12 spies that were sent into the land. This is what he said. This is what your fathers did. After they went up to the valley of Eshcol and viewed the land, they discouraged the Israelites from entering the land the Lord had given them. And the Lord's anger was aroused that day. And he swore this oath. Because they have not followed me with all of their hearts. Now, he translated their discouragement from going into the land as not following. The, this is the Lord speaking. They didn't follow me wholeheartedly. Not one of those who were 20 years old or more when they came up out of Egypt will see the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not one except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, for they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. And the Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until the whole generation of those who had done evil in his sight was gone. And here you are, a brood of sinners. We just wanted to stay in the land. This, is, this, is too, this escalated quickly. You're a brood of sinners now, standing in the place of your fathers and making the Lord even more angry with Israel. If you turn away from following him, he will again leave all of the people in the wilderness, and you will be the cause of their destruction. And they said, well, we want to build pens here for our livestock and cities for our women and children, but we will arm ourselves for battle and go ahead of the Israelites until we have brought them to their place. Meanwhile, our women and children will live in fortified cities for protection from the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until each of the Israelites has received their inheritance. We will not receive any inheritance with them on the other side of the Jordan because our inheritance has come to us 
on the east side of the Jordan. And Moses said, if you will do this, if you will arm yourselves before the Lord for battle, and if all of you who are armed cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven his enemies out before him, then when the land is subdued before the Lord, you may return and be free from your obligation to the Lord and to Israel, and this land will be your possession before the Lord. Father, we thank you so much that you are the type of God that moves us from one place to another. And Lord, you're, you're constantly trying to get us to a place of the promised land. And we know, God, ultimately that's with you when you come to reign. But Father, where are you bringing us as a church in 2016? We don't want to settle outside of the land that you have for us. A land flowing with milk and honey. A land of provision and healing and restoration and hope, God. Father, we're moving in that direction for your glory and for your name's sake. So, Lord, we bless you today. Give us a fresh vision of where you're taking us as a church for 2016. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Let the church say amen. You can have a seat in the presence of the Lord. First-time visitors, we welcome you here today. If it's your first time, just wave your hand. All right, we see you guys. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Beautiful people. We see you're sitting in the VIP section right in the middle. Best sight possible. You know, I don't care what you're doing or where you're at in life, but you, you have to have a little bit of a vision for your life if you want to go anywhere. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The Bible says if there is no vision... Well, I know some people know that verse. Where there is no vision, the people, you know, Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraints. How many people have heard that uh, verse before? Do you realize that there is a moral effect to you not having a vision? That people cast off restraints? You you know, some restraint, (laughs) we sing that song, no more shackles, no more chains. How many people realize some restraints are good restraints? Some restraints. Some restra- Sometimes when, when you lose enough vision in your life, you start doing things you never thought you would. Oh, see. I'm already preaching good, but nobody's, you all have to, it's okay to stand. It's a new year. You can stand up, shout back at me. It doesn't matter, but. Sometimes when you lose a vision for who you are and where you're going and what's happening and where the church is at and where's people, you, can, you start doing some things that maybe you shouldn't be doing. You know, but a vision will help you. See, where there is no vision, people oftentimes cast off restraints. How many people realize that the vision of God in your life is stopping you from sinning right now? Okay, all right, well, we're... You know, a number of years ago, researchers performed an experiment to see the effect that hope has on people undergoing hardship. And what they did is they took two sets of laboratory rats and they placed them in separate tubs of water. And the researchers left one set in the water and found that within an hour, all of the rats had drowned. And the other rats were periodically lifted out of the water and then returned. And when that happened, that second set of rats swam for over 24 hours. The first set died in one hour, but the ones who were periodically lifted out, placed back in, swam for 24 hours. Why? 
you think they're just marathon swimmers? They were the marathon swimmers? And that's why they made it? Is that, is that, see, it's not because they were given rest. It's because they were given hope. So it wasn't because of the rest. It was because of the hope. They somehow hoped that if they could stay afloat just a little bit longer, someone might reach down and rescue them. And if hope holds such a power over unthinking random rodents, how much more power does hope have in your life and in my life? See, if you just got a little bit more hope of where God is taking you, it'll all, all of a sudden you're, you'll be able to endure a little bit more. You'll have a little bit more strength in the journey. Touch someone and say, you need a little bit more hope this year. See, the Reubenites and Gadites were doing very good. They had large flocks and large herds, and they, they were doing well as far as the economy of the Israelite nation when they were wealthy people, and they realized that this land on the east side of the Jordan that was captured by Sihon and Og in Numbers 21 was excellent pasture land for their livestock. It's a very good Land And they said, if we have found favor in your eyes, let this land be given to your servants as our possession. We just want this land that we're in. See, if you're taking notes with me and you, you want a guiding principle, the first glaring problem, what's the problem? I'm just asking. What, if the first glaring problem for those taking notes is that this is not the promised land. Somebody, you know what, I'm, Aida, I'm so glad you're up close. I'm the only one, I'm, everyone, are you all okay? They said, we want to just settle right here. You guys go into the promised land. D- does anybody have a problem that they're just settling in? They're not even going into the prom. You've, you've been in the wilderness for 40 years. God's taking you to the promised land and you say, I'm good. You only got a few more steps. You only got a couple more battles. No, we're good. We just want to make our home on this side of the Jordan River. We don't really want to cross over the Jordan. We're just good where we were at. We want to settle on the east side of the Jordan. We just want to stay right here. It's, it's comfortable. See, this is a case of people that see something, a, a whole people group that see something that's good that has an element of rest in it, right? It's, a, it's kind of like a promised land. It feels good. Matter of fact, the Bible says they said this land is suitable. It's so suitable. You ever been in a place where you knew it wasn't God's best, but it was, it was suitable? This is... All right. Joanna, I love you so much. I'm so glad God is bringing us to a glorious place. But right now, let's just go for that suitable. It's all right. I mean, it it ain't great. But it's suitable. How easily they forgot in Exodus chapter 3 that God was bringing them to a land Flowing with milk and honey. Milk, 
spoils in a day. It is the daily provision of our father. I'm going to a land where every day it's flowing with milk. You will have my daily provision. And honey has been known to last for thousands of years. So the long term, you're going to a place where I will provide your daily needs and your long term needs. And it's going to be flowing with my provision and everything else. And these folks are like, we just want to stay where it's suitable. Caleb comes along and says, don't you know the land over there is exceedingly good? The grapes are like the size of my fist. It's amazing. It's an amazing land. It's exceedingly good, but we just want what is suitable. We're good. We'll settle for what is, have you ever settled? You know, when you when I graduated college, you start looking for jobs. You just settle for any. Well, I just uh, you just settle, right? I was applying for jobs at close, you know, stuff I had no passion for. You know, I just I'm the management. I'm looking for a manager. You just start putting your resume. Don't nobody want to hire you. You don't know nothing. Twenty one years old. You know, you you don't know nothing. I'm just gonna. You just want to make some money so you don't got to go home and live with your folks. Because that would be a horror. I would rather be in, never mind, forget it. And I just, I, my job is okay. I'm, it's, it's, it's suitable. You know, I'm, I'm, this, is, uh, this is the year, it's 2016. And by the way, we're, we're starting our Biggest Loser uh, campaign next Sunday. Okay, all right. It's going to cost you to get in because we want you to have something on the line so you don't drop out in the first week. So next Sunday, we'll have our weigh-ins. It'll be very discreet. Only uh, one person will know, and you'll, everyone will have an ID. But anyways, I, so be ready to come next week. Eat up this week for next Sunday. We dine uh, in the table of the dieting. But that's how we kind of go into 2016. Some of you all said, as soon as the clock hits midnight, I will then start. I'm, I bought a cleanser. You know, I got to cleanse out first, and then I bought a juicer because I really want to get my toxins going, and I, you know, and then 2016 hit, and you said, you know what? Sunday morning, pastor's going to preach that first message. So Sunday night, I will start because Monday's a good enough start. But you know, but what happens is after that whole New Year's resolution wears off, we start saying, well, I, I, I kind of have all my clothes in this size. It would just cost me so much if I actually got down. And so I'm okay. Look, I can run. I, I got this. <laughs> you know, you're like, I'm good. I'm good now. And so you just kind of settle. You, you, you know, you remember when you had the six pack, but you're like, that was younger me. I don't want to get up and do that walk at five in the morning. I'm good. I don't. Do you realize that 90% of us losing weight is what we eat? Oh, forget it. You, you don't even have to work out. All you have to do is just, ch- in, in any case, though, we tend as a people to settle for that which is suitable. In our relationships, well, it's just suitable. When we get into church this morning, we've consecrated ourselves. We pray. We say, God, this year is the year where I want to be fervent, where I want revival to happen, where I really want to be different in God. I don't want to keep walking through the motions and being some sort of fake pretend Christian. I really want to get go after God with all my heart and all my mind and all my soul. And there's prayer meeting tomorrow night, but I'm 
Oh, no, 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 Lord. Lord, 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 Lord. You already know what shows come on Monday night. And so you say, I'm just good. I'm just going to stay right where I'm at. I'm pretty spiritual. I know a few key verses. Some of you all keep saying the same verses. You've never added new verses into your repertoire. And then sometimes you think you're saying verses, but they're not verses. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. That's not a verse. That's not a verse. John 3.16, you got to get some new ones in your vocabulary. You know, one thing I wanted to challenge us with as we're in this vein of settling is over the month of January, I would challenge us. There's a a new series starting at 9 o'clock on the other side, but I would challenge you to come 15 minutes early because we wanted to start an inferno of prayer before the services. So if you can make it 15, how many people can make it 15 minutes early next Sunday to pray with us? Okay, but see, we'll see what happens on Sunday morning. I just said 15 minutes. Everyone should have been like, that's fine. That's fine. Whatever. What is 15 minutes in the grand scheme of things? You see how we, we want something, but we're willing to cop out and settle. Lord, I want you to grow this church so mightily, and you're going to do it. And, 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 but then at a certain point, we say, isn't it so intimate when we don't grow? We know all the people. We'll just settle for where it's because we don't want to evangelize and reach out to our neighbors and really become the people of God out in the marketplace. Why do we keep settling? You know, when you're dating, you're in your dating life, you kind of start off with a big list, right? Al, you know what I'm talking about. You start off with these big lists when you're dating someone. They got to be saved. That's number one. They have to love the Lord. They have to have an intimate prayer life. They have to fast and pray. They need to go to counseling with their pastor and really be in tune with God. And they need to have respect, not just for me, but for my parents and for my friends and for the things that I like and issues I'm going through. They need to understand me and be involved in the church and love the Lord and have a master's degree. Why not? They have to have a master's degree. These are sort of my qualifications and a good job because of that master's degree and at least a nice car and a place of their own. And these are sort of the lists that I'm working through. And they need to be six feet because I don't want to take photos with them. I don't want to have, come, come here, Joanna. Come here, come here. God never answered her prayers. She, that's why she never wears heels. They need to be six feet or more so that when I can wear my heels that the pictures look right. But if you let a few years go by, you let a few years go by, then you're like, well, he doesn't, mom, he doesn't hit me. He's not abusive. That's the first thing we need to know. And I am a missionary dating him, but sometimes we tend. (laughs) See, sometimes we tend to settle, don't we? Because if you let enough time go by, all of a sudden, settling doesn't seem that bad. Because the longer you're in a situation, the more you're willing to settle for something that might not be God's best. You know, one of the things I don't know about you, but one of the things I am planning on telling my daughters is you better not settle. And if they bring some joker around that is just ridiculous, I will have my shotgun on the table. 
and we will have a conversation about why he's not the one. He might not be marriage material. All I'm saying is, you know, when it comes to your kids, you look at him, you say, you better not settle. You don't have a choice in this. See, because that's me in the natural talking as a father to my child. You better not settle because I've been through a life a little and I've spent most of, much of my life pouring into these kids of mine and I recognize that their immense value. You know, I was driving with uh, Sophia the other day and uh, we were talking about, you know, I don't know why we get into these conversations about dating and this and that and I was whatever, it's just... I don't I, just pray for me. And as we're talking about it, I said, I said to her, I said, Sophia, I wouldn't, would I let one of your knucklehead friends come over and borrow my car? You know, would I let them borrow my car? She said, no. I said, why wouldn't I let them borrow my car? I said, because she said, well, it's valuable. You know, it's car. It's your car. It's like, whatever. It's costs money. It costs something. I, I said, I wouldn't let some knucklehead come over and drive my car. I said, I can replace my car, you know, but you, you don't understand your value to me. I can't replace you. Your value, you, do you realize that if somebody came right now and wanted to kill you, I would jump in front of the bullet? It wouldn't take me but two, it wouldn't even take a mo- millisecond, it would, boom, I'm dead. I would give my life in a moment's notice for you. I ain't going to let some knucklehead come over and grab you and take you out. What are you talking about? Because I can't, I cannot replace you. I wouldn't let him have my car and I can replace my car. But I, your value is, the value of who you are is what I'm willing to sacrifice for you. How many people have kids? Now, maybe when they get into college, you're like, no, I won't sacrifice anything. You need to get out do you what we have done our I don't know I'm not there yet but I'm just talking from my situation but I would gladly lay down my life for any of my kids how much more if you even as the Bible says even though you are evil think you're giving good gifts to your kids how much our good father is looking down over your life he's looking down over this church and he's saying do you have any idea how valuable you are to me That's why the Lord is declaring over us, don't you dare settle. You have to understand how valuable you are to the king. See, God is building us beyond what we could think or imagine. But if you don't understand how valuable you are, you'll settle. Touch someone on the shoulder and say, don't you settle. And look at someone else say, don't you dare settle. See, God is going to use all of the unique giftings and abilities that he's brought together into this house to build something exceedingly great. I don't know when it happened, but in my mind, I stopped worrying about the state of this church because it's his church and he's building it. And he's brought you here for a reason because you are valuable to this house. And God is going to use you, yes, you, yes, you, in whatever state you are in to build his kingdom beyond what you could think or imagine, but you better not settle. Here's the few principles I want to lay out. If you are traveling long enough, first point, 
you will take the first land that comes along. If you've been on a journey long enough, see, time oftentimes is a catalyst for us to doubt God. Time is a catalyst for us to doubt God. Forty years? I would imagine that Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh were tired after 40 years. Aaron had died already. Moses was about to die. He was passing his succession on to Joshua. The entire previous generation has died in the wilderness. Every, imagine this, every single person in Israel lost their parents on that trip, except for Caleb and Joshua. They're the only old folks sitting around. Why? Because they trusted God. But we'll get into that. Forty years. How many people have been married for 40 years? Just raise your hands. We need to honor people like this. Or, no, no, wave them high. Wave them high. We want to see 40 years. You've almost served two life sentences. You would have been out already, twice. 40 years is a long time. 40 years of wandering in the desert is a very long time, and it might cause us to settle for something because settling always relies more on the natural than the supernatural. When you settle... It always relies more on the natural, what you can see, what you can do, what you can handle, more than the supernatural. When you settle, it means that you trust yourself more than you trust God. And God's, God is declaring, you have lost trust in me far too early. Time has a, a way of conditioning us to think that we can only be so great in God. And you give up. I can't teach Sunday school. I can't lead people to Christ. I can't lead my neighbors. God can't change me. I've been doing this for so long. I'm just stuck and I'm settling. This church, these kids of mine can't be different. I'm just, I can't move forward. I'm going to stay exactly right where I am at. But God is always saying, don't you settle. Time causing us to doubt God. Have you ever been on a journey for a long time? It's easy to doubt God in those moments. Write that down. Time always causes us to doubt God. The length of a matter. Uh, You all remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, The rich man is in hell and Lazarus is in this Abraham's bosoms play in Luke chapter 16. And, And the rich man says, Abraham, send someone back to talk to my family. Please send someone back, send someone back and help him out. And Abraham says what? Even if someone comes back from the dead, they still won't believe. What? See, we have a tendency to think if we saw someone rise from the dead, all of a sudden our hearts, would, we would believe. We would be, Woo! wow, look at God. This is amazing. Someone has risen from the dead. But do you realize that as time goes on, you will start doubting that experience? Maybe I was just seeing things. Maybe this happened. Maybe, that, maybe it wasn't the Lord. See, time will always cause you to start doubting God. What's the first thing that Satan says to Eve in the garden in Genesis? Did God really say? 
See, this is not new. The enemy has always been wanting you to doubt God and who he can be in your life. Did God really say? That's why as soon as the enemy starts to tempt Jesus in the garden, he had been, I mean, in the wilderness, he hadn't eaten for these 40 days and 40 nights. And he comes and Jesus says, man doesn't live on bread alone. Yes, I have a need and I am hungry. And it's been 40 days and 40 nights, but I live on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the father. See, it's it's a picture because it doesn't matter how long you've been holding out on the promise that God gave you. Jesus is saying you better not let time cause you to settle. See, we realize in the text of Numbers 32 that this was not God's best because of Moses' response. He says, shall your countrymen go and fight while you sit here? Why do you discourage the Israelites from going over into the land the Lord is giving them? Listen, church, when we settle for less than what God wants, watch this. It always produces discouragement in those around us. Whenever you settle for less than what God wants for your life, it will always produce discouragement in those around you. Look at someone and say, don't settle. Because if you settle, it's going to mess with me. You People become discouraged around. See, if I can illustrate this, how, how many people have ever been in a very bad job? Okay, it's more of you all than that, but that's fine because maybe you're working right now. Joey didn't want to raise his hand. He was like, Pastor, I, it's just... Uh, <laughs> Joey's like, preach. He's speaking to me right now. You know, maybe you were in a situation where it was micromanagement. They're walk, watching over you as you go to the bathroom. How long did you go? Hey, did you check in after you came back from your bathroom break? I don't know. You know, and there's just a general sense of depression over the office. You ever been in a place like that? You know, Friday, Friday is like New Year's Eve every week. Woo! And, And then Sunday comes around and you try to stay up as late as possible, just hanging on to the weekend. Like, I don't want to wake up in the morning. I'm hanging on. No, one more show, one more cookie, one more slice of pie. I don't want to fall asleep because when I fall asleep, it all begins again. Everyone's disgruntled, you know, and. But your livelihood depends on that job. So you just, you don't have any other options and you make all these things. They age discriminate now. I got to stay where I'm at and I've worked here so long and this and that. And then all of a sudden, one person on that job gets a new job. You know, you all know what I'm talking about. One person makes it out of Egypt. (laughs) You all know the story. And they're like, you know. They're walking up to their computer like, oh, let me handle a couple tasks today. Where are you guys going for lunch? You know, all of a sudden there's this great joy and all, you know, all of, we should all be happy for young Johnny who got a new job, but we're not. Because it produces in us discouragement. It produces and we still have to work here. And the best thing you can do is let that person go. You know, because otherwise, everybody starts feeling this sort of 
you know, just let that guy go. Because if he stays around here with not with the same vision and the same mindset and the same thing, and he's already moved on to something else, it, it be, creates this discouragement amongst us. And when you get to the nation of Israel, they've been wandering around for 40 years, and they're in the wilderness because they're following God. There might have been a sense of discouragement and downtroddenness after 40 years, and God is finally saying it's time Uh, That old generation is gone, and I want you to go into a land that is filled with mighty men, and you're going to have to fight these battles, but I'm going to be fighting with you. And the only reason that they're wandering in the desert is because 10 of the 12 spies said they couldn't defeat them, and they grumbled against God. You would almost think that after 40 years, God would have found a different way to get them into the promised land. God could have placed an infectious disease over there in Canaan and killed everybody off. He could have made any other way about how this was going to happen but the Bible says that they were going to have to fight to get into their promised land you gotta fight that's everybody you gotta trust God and you gotta like I when my kids come along and they say oh I hurt my leg I look at my sons and what do we say I hit him in the chest and say man up don't you all, isn't that what you all, that's the new parenting? You don't coddle them. I mean, I'm not saying the girls. I'm saying, like, Xavier, are you really crying? Man, man up. You got, man, what? And then he goes and he drinks his Hulk juice. Go, 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 go. Oh, I'm ready, Dad. You know, all right, anyways, that's, that's just whatever. And in that moment when everyone is getting geared up, 40 years, let's go. We got to fight this battle. We're going to go into the land. We're going to conquer. We're going to take over. We're going to, all of a sudden, somebody raises up and says, you know what? You guys go on ahead. We're good right here. Most leaders would stay quiet when people start settling. Not Moses. Moses says, should your fellow Israelites go to war while you sit here? Why do you discourage them from crossing over the land the Lord has given them? That's what your fathers did when Caleb and Joshua went into the land. After they viewed the land, they discouraged the Israelites from entering the land, and the Lord's anger was aroused that day, and he swore, they have not followed me wholeheartedly. And not one of those who were 20 years old or more when they came out of Egypt will see the land I promised, except for Caleb and Joshua. And the Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he made them wander for 40 years until the whole generation of those who had done evil in his sight was gone. It was over 30 years where these individuals went to spy out the land, and they come back with a bad report Only Joshua and Caleb said they will enter the land. How many people are familiar with Joshua and Caleb? See, we are just like them. And what it's telling about this statement by Moses is not what it says to them or about them, because it's not about people. Who's the main character in Numbers 32? Who's the main character in Numbers 32? Who is up there in the back? Who's the main character in Numbers 32? What does this show us about God? The nation of Israel, if you read back through the story, they made many mistakes out of Egypt going into the land, but only one mistake got them stuck in the desert for 40 years. 
Only one mistake. All of the miraculous signs and fulfilling his covenant to Abraham, he's bringing them into the land. What would make God postpone the fulfillment of his promises for 40 years? What makes God just stop and say, you know what, this whole generation, I'm wiping them out 40 years. And here's the answer, church. Write this down. The people do not follow me with all of their hearts. Wholeheartedly. Moses says, you are a brood of sinners and you're making the Lord even more angry. And if you turn away from following him, he will again leave all of us in the desert and you will be the cause of the destruction. Let me get this right. Are you saying that God might postpone the entrance into the land again? 40 years and he might do it again? Yes, if the new generation makes the same mistake that the old generation. What makes God even more angry and more upset when you don't follow him with all of your heart? no surprise when Jesus comes on the scene he says what follow me follow me see it's a it's bigger than a statement about how we settle for things in life it's a statement about who God is it's a statement about his character he says follow me because when you don't follow him with all of your heart it's a statement of you having faith in yourself Instead of faith in God. That's why he says no one will see the land except in Numbers 14. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. I will bring him into the land and his descendants will inherit it. So Moses says, okay, let's make a deal. Under one condition. You must cross over and fight for your brothers, and then you could come back and settle in this land outside of the promised land. I want to close with two statements, one positive and one negative, to help frame up what I'm trying to say in all of this. See, the community was restored when everyone decided to fight to get into the promised land. Everyone. Touch someone and say, you're included in this. Everyone. See, community, here's the first positive principle. Community is built on helping your brothers until the Lord gives them rest. Fighting for your brother until the Lord gives them rest. See, part of the role of pastoral leadership is to serve the vision God has given you. To get you to the place of rest where you're functioning in your ministry, building up the body of Christ. All, every single person under the sound of my voice has a gift and has a calling. And God wants to use you mightily. And we're here to help serve that vision that God has placed in your heart. There are some gifts we don't even know about yet in this house. That will transform this church like never before. But you've got lost in settling. Someone told you that that's over for you. You've done your... God wants to raise you up again. You want to feel a real sense of community? You got to get back in the battle. Touch someone and say, get back in the battle. You see Keith over there working with the kids' ministry, and you, you, how do you feel community? By you helping him until the Lord brings that ministry to a place of rest. 
You see the worship team. How do you build community? Well, you come out and you partner with them and you pray for them. You help them set up. You help until God gives that ministry a place of rest. You have a gift in evangelizing or in prayer or outreach or teaching or cleaning or building or giving or praying or counseling or loving on others. You have to start getting yourself back into the battle. If you ever want to feel like this is your church, you've got to stand up and fight with us. Quit sitting on the sidelines. That's why God brought you here. Help us get to a place of rest. Help me get to a place of rest. That was the positive note. <laughs> I guess that, yeah, it was. <laughs> See, the negative note is this, that they fought in the promised land, and they returned outside of the promised land. Because some people are willing to fight for others, but are not willing to fight for themselves. It's possible for you to be able to see other people in God's perfect place of rest, but you just can't see yourself getting there. It's too much for me to get there. You can see the good fortune and the conquests and the victories for other churches, Pastor Bill, Pastor Greg. Look at what those amazing churches are doing, and that's great for them and for their families, and, how, and they, God blessed them with this, and but I don't know how we could ever be that church. See, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Reuben, his name means he has seen. Gad, his name means good fortune. And Manasseh, he makes to forget. He has seen good fortune, and he makes to forget. He sees the good fortune, but he forgets about it. Roosevelt said, it's not the critic who counts or the man who points out how the strong man stumbled or where the doer of deeds could have done better, but the credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, and who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, and spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least he fails, while daring so greatly that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory or defeat. God has called all of Israel to the promised land. And God has called all of Freedom Church to a promised land filled with rest, flowing with milk and honey. In 2016, I challenge you today, do not settle. Help us. Get into the fight. Get into the battle. Use your giftings. Trust him. Obey him. And let your faith grow in God like never before. Touch someone and say, I'm going to follow him with all my heart.
going to take a moment here in the presence of the Lord, and I'm going to ask if the worship team, you all just keep your mics with you, but grab a seat here on the front row. I'm going to ask the praise dancers, if you all wouldn't mind just grabbing a quick seat there in the front row as well, or in one of these rows, and everyone feel free to go ahead and take a seat. start off the, the year right, don't we? And the Lord is calling us as a church 
to fast and pray and to seek his face and to humble ourselves in his presence. So I don't know what humbling yourself right now looks like, but if you're able to kneel, I know this is a movie theater and the floor is in great, but if you're able to kneel, kneel, but if you're able to just bow your head in this place, but just as an act of consecration and humility before our Heavenly Father, we just want to, one, one of the words we use for worship is bowing. This idea of proskuneo, the idea of prostrating ourselves before our Heavenly Father. And we want to start off right here. And I wanted to declare this verse. And we're going to be fasting as a church uh, one day a week for the month of January and seeking his face. Uh, the leadership team will be, will be fasting on Wednesdays, sun up to sundown. But God isn't just looking for one day. Just you, this is between you and the Lord right now. He's not just looking for one day. And I wanted to declare this over this house from Isaiah 58. It says, and allow your mind to just be captured by the words of our Father. And hear his heart. He says, for day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. And they ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. They want me to come near to them. Why have we fasted, they say, and have you not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, the Lord says, you do as you please and exploit others. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast that I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves. Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? What kind is it, Lord? To loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke and to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? And then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always and he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your fame, your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your People will rebuild the ancient ruins and raise up age-old foundations. You will be called a repairer of broken walls, a restorer of streets with dwellings. Father, we humble ourselves in your presence today. We, your church, God, bow the knee in your presence in worship to Almighty God. 
Father, we start off our prayer this year, God, with a prayer of repentance. Father, you see, you see everything that's done. You see the shadows of our lives. And Father, we repent for things that were done openly and things that were done in secret, God. Father, give us clean hands and a pure heart, God, today. We repent for ways where we've been devious, God. Ways where we've maligned the saints, God. Backbiting, gossip, God. Slander, Father. Things that, that we've said, God, that have come out of our mouths, God. Father, thoughts that we've had, God, we lay them down today, God, and we repent. Lord, turn our hearts back to you, God, today, Father. Lord, we repent of God, even things that, that we've done, Lord, that, that you've seen, God, in the secret place that were not of your heart, Father. And maybe even things that we've justified in our lives, God, that it's okay, God. We turn from those things right now, Father. We pray, God, for holiness in our lives and in our homes and in our families, God. Raise up a standard against the enemy, God, in our homes, God. So, Lord, as the people of God today, we repent. If there's something that's been on your heart, something that's been weighing you down, I want you to lay it before his feet right now and just say, Lord, I repent. Lord, I repent. Lord, I repent. Father, I pray now, God, that you would move this church to a place of consecration, to a place of humility, God. Teach us, Lord, how to walk humbly, God, in your presence. Teach us, Father, to lower ourselves, even as we just sang, that you would increase and we would decrease, God. I pray for a spirit of humility, Father. Lord, that you would humble us so that we would be able to carry what it is you want to place on our shoulders, Father. That we wouldn't get puffed up in our hearts, God but that we would live a lifestyle of humility in your presence, God, today. And now, God, I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would break every yoke over the lives of your people. Father, there are people in here struggling with things they can't get out of, God. They've been wrestling with it day and night, God, and it seems like something that's a part of them, God, a generational thing, God. And, Lord, I pray that you would release the captive today, God. Break every yoke, every addiction, every bondage, every thought that would exalt itself against the knowledge of who you are, God. Let it be made low. And give these people the mind of Christ. Transform our thinking, God. Give us the mind of Christ. Make every other thought, God, low. Lord, that you would be magnified in our thought life and in our world, God. Lord, that you would give us a season where your presence draws us. Your spirit begins to draw us closer to you, Lord. I pray that over this house that we would have a tangible expression of your spirit drawing us closer to you, God. That it wouldn't be a day of fasting, God, but a lifestyle of fasting, a lifestyle of consecration. Father, that you would strengthen those, God, right now that are wrestling in their mind. I can't do it. I can't make it. I don't know. God, that hope would rise up and faith would rise up in their hearts. Lord, we surrender. We surrender every addiction, every bondage, every chain, every snare, God. Lord, even, even the enemy's attack on our mind that, that, no, you can't recover from that thing in your past. Lord, we surrender it to you today. There's some changes that you need to make, church. And Lord, in this moment, Holy Spirit, point the finger in our hearts. I want you to allow God to point the finger in your life right now. He's dealing with you specifically. 
some relationship, something, some issue that you need to change this year. And the Lord is saying it's an act of humility when you surrender to him. Holy Spirit, we wait on you. It's specific to each of us. Lord, this is the year. We don't want a popular church. We don't want just a big church or a church that has a good brand. But Lord, we want a church filled with people who look like Jesus. Lord, that this would be the beginning of how you shape us into the image of your son. You, your word declares in Romans that that is all of our destiny, to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, that you would raise up disciples of Christ in this house. That 2016 would be a year, God, where we look back over it and we just see your hand in everything. That at the end of the year, we will all declare, won't God do it? Didn't he do it? Didn't he make a way? Didn't he deliver us? Didn't he heal us? Didn't he provide for us? Didn't God do it? That no one would be able to stand like Nebuchadnezzar said, look what my hands have done, God. But at the end of this year, we would all stand and say, look what my great Yahweh has done. Look how God made a way, how he set us free, how he brought us into a prosperous land. Lord, how he opened doors that we could have never opened on our own, God. Lord, we honor you today. The year of your favor, God, is upon us. But unite us, God. Let there not be a single person in the camp like Achan when he went and, and he stole that stuff, God, and, and your judgment came upon the whole people, God. Let there not be an Achan in our midst, God. But let there be a consecration of each one of us individually that we might walk forward as the people of God, smelling of the aroma of God the aroma of God. Let it be all over this place. Father, I speak life over our mouths, God. That this will be a church, God, where, where even the very words we speak to one another will be life-giving, Lord. Saturated with your spirit, Lord. Father, that you would raise up a healing anointing in this house. Father, that you would open doors in, in businesses, God, and, and that you would give people radical new ideas and entrepreneurship, God, that there, there would be an open heaven, God. Lord, we know that you own the cattle on a thousand hills, God. But, Father, we pray for open heavens, God, that you would open up doors, God, that you would bring us to a building, Father, Lord, where we can worship you and, and praise you, God, in freedom, God, without all of the restrictions, Lord. We know, God, that you are going to make a way for us, and we trust you, God. Father, I pray for marriages right now. Lord, it is such a hard work to look like you and your church, God, but I lift up every home that's represented in this place today. Lord, we've made some mistakes in our marriages and in our homes over 2015. We've maybe even said some words and done some things, God, that we didn't think we could recover from. But Lord, we repent of those things and we ask that you would restore our homes, that you would restore our kids. Father, the relationships that we have, God, help our homes look more like you, Jesus. Give us more patience in 2016, God. Help us, God, work through those things, God. 
Let us walk in humility, God, in our homes, Lord. Father, we lift up our kids to you, that they would be signs and wonders in the earth, God, that you would use them mightily, God, that your spirit would fill their lives, even as they're worshiping on the other side, God, let your Holy Spirit touch them like never before, God. Father, if we just teach us as parents what we need to do, and grandparents, God, and how we need to affect their lives for the kingdom, God. Father, stir in us a heart for a devotional life and, and a committed life, God, to reading your word and devoting ourselves to prayer as the saints have always done throughout the ages, Lord. Father, I pray that you would increase and we would decrease. Lord, we will not settle for anything but your best for this house. So, Lord, we humble ourselves in your presence today. Lord, even as Moses cried out, Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't, don't bring us from this place. Saturate us with your presence. Let us be known as a church where your presence dwells. Hallelujah. Some of you all have settled some things with the Lord right now. And I declare, do not pick those things back up. See, his mercies are new every morning, every day. Today, today is the day of salvation. Do not go back like a dog to its vomit, the Lord declares. But stand today in newness of life. If in your heart you've made a declaration to God, God has transformed and shifted some things in your life, and you're ready to walk into 2016 with the spirit of humility, longing for his presence, then I want you to stand with me. If you've, if, if that's you, I want you to stand with me today. And in that same spirit of humility, let's lift up our hands. We're going to have the worship team come back forward, and we're going to sing a song about his presence. Oh, isn't it so sweet to be in his presence? Isn't it amazing how when we humble ourselves, he fills this temple? Holy Spirit, just welcome him in like never before.